Welcome to the Kicks EAP podcast, your monthly podcast with important leaders in education from Eastern Europe, Middle East and North Africa, Central Asia, and the Asia Pacific. I'm your host, Ryan Allen, assistant professor at Chapman University here in Southern California, and my own background is in international and comparative education. Let's start the show. Today, we have Batrago Bakuyak, the executive director of the Mongolian Education Alliance. In the interview, we talk about his background, the Mongolian educational context, and the work of his NGO, including how it shifted from a donor organization into a civil society organization. Let's go to the interview. All right. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the show today. If we could maybe hop into your background a little bit, you have a bachelor's degree in uh, teaching languages. Uh, in, in your home country, but then you jump to uh, a degree over in Teachers College, Columbia University uh, in New York. So can you maybe talk about that experience mo moving from uh, Mongolia to New York? Or how did you get into sort of international uh, education or international education development? It was not planned, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> it was a kind of pure luck. Um, I got my uh, undergraduate degree in teaching, as I said, and I was working with student teachers who were going to be uh, teaching English and or Russian languages at um, schools. And uh, one day I got information that there, one foundation was uh, um, providing scholarship uh, opportunities to study abroad. Uh, in the US and I was interested in but I uh, wasn't uh, sure if I should uh, apply and waited for maybe two years uh, and then uh, uh, one year I decided to apply and applied got into the program and uh, it was the Mongolian Foundation for Open Society uh, and they had a program called Mongolian Professional Fellowship Program and they were giving opportunities for uh, young professionals to do a master's degree in the US uh, universities. And I got into this. Um, uh, when I applied, uh, uh, because I was uh, working in uh, initial teacher training institute, uh, I was looking at higher education. But when I got into the program and uh, when I met, uh, my academic advisor, uh, Gita, uh, uh, and um, because of the because of my interest, uh, I wasn't really much concentrating in higher education, but rather in education policy. Got into the program, uh, came to a completely different context. Uh, it, it was a really uh, different experience. It was back, it was almost 20 years ago now. And it was uh, just a few, a couple of years after the 9-11 and coming to New York and having the experiencing the real melting pot, uh, which I used to talk to my students, but uh, it was a good experience to, you know, to, to leave life and meet people from different backgrounds from different cultures um, so it was a, a great uh, uh, experience and I think it was a turning point in my life 
Yeah, that's fantastic. As I mentioned, I, I also studied with Dr. Gita steiner Comsi, so we have that connection. But but after that, you you return to uh, Mongolia and you uh, begin working with the Mongolian Education Alliance, and that's that's your still your current uh, organization as well. And it it from what from my understanding, when you went there, that organization was still relatively young. So so maybe can you talk about sort of maybe what is that organization first off? And then second, what is it like to sort of help foster and, and build uh, an organization like this? Mm-hmm. So uh, Mongolian Education Alliance was registered as a local NGO in 2004, one year before, uh, before I joined and before I returned from the States. But, uh, it wasn't a new organization. It did not start from the scratch. Actually, it was the foundation, part of the foundation, uh, the uh, Mongolian Foundation for Open Society. Uh, and they were uh, the education program programs, and they were running uh, programs in early childhood, primary, secondary education. Uh, so um, when the foundation started, they had an, uh, a plan from the beginning that they would start programs, uh, build local capacity, and phase out. And that happened in 2004. And, um, you know, it was, uh, I think it was a challenge in the beginning, uh, you know, to shifting from, not just shifting, it was almost like a transforming from a donor organization to a civil society organization. So, I think it was a, a big shift. The first uh, mission was to foster uh, open society values into education system and uh, identify underserved areas of education in Mongolia, education reform in Mongolia, and contribute mostly by providing uh, support in developing human resource in education sector. So that was it. And uh, uh, I joined the organization uh, first as a fundraising uh, officer. And uh, I was trying to uh, uh, look at what can be different ways to help the organization uh, sustain its uh, activities. It's been now 17 years since the organization started, and uh, uh, there's been few changes over the course of the uh, time. Um, you know, now I think the organization is much more mature, and uh, we have been recognized as one of the leading education NGOs in the country. So. Yeah, it's been a, a great challenge and um, wonderful journey and uh, experiencing the different uh, uh, reforms uh, in the country, in the, in the education system. In some reforms, uh, we have been in, in the leading roles. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds fantastic and absolutely a, a challenge to sort of switch from that kind of organization. You, you mentioned these educational reforms. 
And if I'm curious, can we can we kind of jump into uh, some of the uh, reforms that the uh, NGO has has sort of worked with? I know you worked with the government and the Ministry of Education. What are what are some of the key challenges that you're facing and that you have um, helped to sort of change or alter or are pushing? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, one of the reforms we have been involved is one of the recent ones is. Uh, uh, involvement of parents and the wider community into school life. So there, there is there is a legacy from the previous system that uh, you know parents considered the role of child development and education mainly done by schools and education institutions. On the other hand, schools were uh, required to engage parents uh, and maybe the wider community into different um, parts of school life. So there's been um, this mismatch and uh, some research showed that the parent engagement at school was at about 30%, which means about 30% of parents uh, in a particular school uh, would be involved in one activity or two uh, that was organized by schools. And it uh, appeared that mostly it was the parent meetings and maybe some cultural sports events that parents were invited to. But uh, what we uh, emphasized uh, and focused on was uh, engaging parents into uh, uh, school life in two different ways. First, uh, we believe that parents are the primary educators of children uh, because children are in school just part of the day and most of the time they are at home with family members and with parents. Uh, And when the children are young, especially, uh, they need support from their parents in uh, development. So one of the channels that um, link school and uh, parents is parent education, parenting education. Uh, So the school, uh, maybe the kindergartens also, would be uh, providing information uh, and other resources for parents so that uh, they know about child development and what they can do to support their learning and development. The second way is uh, parents' engagement in school governance um, and um, uh, contribution to make sure that learning that's happening in the school is meaningful. We tried to focus on the second part of it so that parents become actively engaged and they know what's happening in school what are the issues, what are the problems, and they can be ready to contribute in addressing these issues uh, at different levels. Uh, So the schools in Mongolia would have um, school councils. Uh, uh, There is only one parent representative, but uh, the the larger uh, body that engages parents is 
parents association or in some schools, parent teacher associations. So uh, through that, we helped schools do self-assessment of their activities, engaging not only teachers, management of the school, students, parents, but also the wider community, the other uh, entities, business or uh, local government uh, agencies, other social services come together, look at the school life, uh, do assessment and identify what areas they need to focus on. And then uh, they plan activities together, uh, implement it and monitor and evaluate it and then do the assessment again so that it becomes a whole cycle and it becomes like an uh, ongoing process. I'm curious because, you know, to me that that makes sense as, as an educator myself, having parents involved, but I, but I could foresee maybe some pushback from either, you know, maybe the schools are saying, no, this is our job or parents say, no, that's their job. It, did you see those kinds of conversations or, or what was the pushback or did you get any pushback for the, from this kind of uh, reform? You know, there's been a general um, policy-wise uh, schools were required to engage parents. But the, the problem uh, that schools had were they, uh, they were not really, they didn't know how to engage parents meaningfully. For instance, um, about a quarter of uh, Mongolian population uh, lives in rural areas in, uh, and mainly as nomadic herders. And they would be living 100, maybe 200, even 300 kilometers away from the settlement, from the school. And they would be sending their kids. And, you know, it is um, difficult for them for instance, to get uh, information about the school, come to the school or know how the child is doing in school. We worked with uh, schools, uh, rural schools, and uh, together we found different ways of engaging or rather attracting parents into schools. So one of the innovative ideas was every uh, village settlement has a, a metrology center. And they have a um, system that sends out SMS messages to nomadic herder families when there is a natural disaster or when there is a lizards or uh, flood is coming or something like that. So the school had an agreement with the metrology center and they used that uh, SMS uh, messaging, mass messaging system to communicate with parents. So parents started getting SMS from school about their kids or about activities in the schools. So that, uh, it was one way of engaging. And, uh, you know, getting a personal message from a school made the parents to want to engage, want to learn more about, want to communicate with schools. So that was one of the uh, ways. Uh, the, uh, one other school had an idea that, you know, uh, approximately, uh, I think I mentioned about the 30% engagement rate, and majority of them were mothers, grandmothers, or sisters. 
So the school had an idea of engaging fathers. So they only uh, communicated with fathers so that they uh, created a group of active fathers to be engaged in school uh, activities. Uh, one school later on, when uh, parents started uh, engaging, they uh, created groups so that they um, monitor school activities. Uh, they devised um, uh, lesson observation sheet to be observed by parents. Uh, so we are curious what parents who are not educators can observe from a class, but they had plenty of things to observe, like the interaction in the classroom, whether the teacher is engaging with uh, all the children or only a few, whether students are interested in the classroom, whether they are actively participating, whether the teacher is uh, using um, different um, learning materials, and if not, why, and uh, so on. So they uh, started really looking into how learning is going on in the school and started um, thinking of different activities like uh, linking the life with the learning. So they started, you know, uh, inviting children to different um, entities so that children know about uh, what happened, what's happening there and trying to link it with their learning, uh, engaging children, uh, inviting them to, for instance, to the local museums and, you know, linking it with um, the learning. So, um, you know, this uh, started whole uh, movement in uh, mostly in rural schools uh, so that the school uh, is becoming much more lively, vibrant community and becoming like a real community center of the places. Wow. That, yeah, that, that sounds like a, an amazing success story. And, you know, I think with, with, with COVID and digitization, it sounds like Mongolia is maybe a little bit ahead, at least in, in thinking about what, you know, outside of the box or, or maybe breaking some of the, the standards. Uh, one of the other things that you had sent over to me that, that I was really interested in uh, was this idea of the open school monthly newspaper and just this idea of sort of uh, reaching different teachers, educators, researchers, researchers, policymakers. So can you kind of talk about maybe that project? So um, the Open Schools newspaper, uh, we have been running for uh, more than 24 years now. Uh, So it is a monthly newspaper uh, printed and distributed um, to schools. And it is uh, the the rural teachers and schools can subscribe it through the postal system. So in in this Initiative, we have um, two main objectives. One is, uh, and the main uh, objective is uh, to serve as a bridge uh, among schools and teachers to share their experiences, share their learning, share their practices, good practices, 
until certain time uh, it served as the main kind of um, exchanging platform of uh, practices. Now, you know, there are more options, you know, with the technological development, uh, there are different platforms, websites, um, uh, applications where teachers can uh, exchange their practices, but uh, uh, it still serves as uh, one uh, channel for teachers. The second objective is we uh, try to address issues to to start a conversation, to start even a debate on issues that are emerging in education or that are underserved, uh, overlooked um, issues uh, and um, try to bring it up to, uh, to the relevant stakeholders. If it needs to be um, uh, included in the policy, then we uh, try to uh, bring it up to the uh, decision makers, policy makers. So the, um, the topics that we have uh, recently touched was uh, the issue of uh, uh, integrity in education. We try to look at, uh, um, uh, address the issue of inclusive education, what it means uh, and what it entails and how to help schools become more inclusive. So these are some of the topics we uh, try to address. That's fantastic. And, you know, you, you mentioned the stakeholders and, you know, looking at the work of the organization and your work, oftentimes that seems to be, you know, the Ministry of Education or other government uh, agencies. Can you, can you talk about that process or, or what, what is it like to work with the government agencies or the different representatives, you know, maybe if there's people moving in and out of different positions or coming in, uh, what are kind of the challenges and what are the ways that that you uh, have found success in working with different government uh, levels and officials? Mm-hmm. The biggest challenge for us is there's a, a frequent turnover of uh, uh, the staff, people at the ministry and other agencies that we work with. So um, uh, one of the issues that uh, uh, was raised was the same issue. And, you know, uh, we, uh, we shared, uh, exchanged ideas uh, of what we do, what could be our uh, strategies, uh, tactics to work with uh, different uh, agencies. And I think, you know, being persistent is uh, one because NGOs are, they have a, a certain mandate. For instance, our mandate is to, to support teachers so that, uh, you know, they are uh, equipped with methodologies to help students uh, become uh, better learners, lifelong learners. For instance, one of the uh, agenda is, you know, to make sure student, uh, to make sure teachers get the necessary support from the system 
from the uh, institutions, from the schools that they work uh, and get support from their uh, peers uh, as well. So um, to be persistent is to talk about, uh, you know, what uh, teachers, first listen to teachers, what kind of support they need and uh, what can be done to, to make sure they get this support and, um, you know, to use every opportunity to talk about these, uh, you know, uh, support systems. Uh, you know, this support needs to be uh, better financed. In other words, uh, for instance, in order to, like the new concept of professional learning communities uh, uh, take place, uh, they, they need some um, resources uh, and the resources, some of the resources are financial. And if there isn't, um, um, you know, adequate funding in the school budget allocated for professional development, continuous professional development, it, is, uh, it doesn't happen successfully. So, you know, uh, use different opportunities, uh, platforms, to, to talk about your, uh, not your, but the issues that <laughs> you are uh, trying to uh, address. Uh, this is uh, one of the things. And one of the things is that you have to be always, you have to be ready. So if someone, if an agency, if a, an official uh, calls and asks uh, for um, for an advice or for uh, um, ideas, uh, you should be ready. Otherwise, um, you you don't have uh, the such opportunities all the time. I, I appreciate it. I, I like I actually like how you used your and you and talking about you know people are listening around the world who m- might be thinking about these things uh, in, in their own sector, their own society. So I, so I can appreciate that. We're kind of coming to the end of the interview. So I, I just have sort of one maybe final question. Researchers from outside of Mongolia or even international organizations, uh, you know, coming into to Mongolia, what is what is often missed or maybe, uh, maybe misunderstood by the, these groups maybe coming in? And how can we help to, to elevate sort of maybe the local voices and, and the local ideas when, when we're talking about these issues? Education sector, the Ministry of Education, they, uh, you know, work with, with different uh, governments, uh, multilateral or bilateral organizations to, to create opportunities for Mongolian scholars to go abroad and um, study, uh, get degrees. And one of the things I think is not done adequately is to do the same for the sector itself, to create opportunities for the teachers, scholars, researchers in education to have more of that opportunities, one. Um, Second, I think the higher education sector should play a role here. Uh, and but they cannot do it alone. They need uh, funding for that, which is to engage more in research. Uh, 
there are initiatives uh, taking place, but you know, to uh, to make sure the researchers, professors at uh, universities, they uh, team up with uh, NGOs or uh, other uh, uh, players and do research because you know the research skills is not acquired through training it is i believe acquired through research if you don't do research you don't become a researcher so um, you know to create opportunities for these uh, young researchers or those who are interested in research to 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 be engaged in um, uh, research projects. So, uh, I mean, those both are, are quite interesting. So thanks for, for raising those. Uh, we, we've come to the end of, of the podcast. I want to thank you for uh, joining me today. So, so thank you very much. I know it was short notice, so I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And this concludes our Kicks EAP podcast, which is released every first Wednesday of the month. Of course, the opinions expressed on the Kicks EAP podcast are solely those of the host and the guest. The Kicks EAP podcast is made possible by Kicks, which stands for Knowledge and Innovation Exchange. Kicks is an initiative of the Global Partnership for Education. Globally, Kicks is administered by the International Development Research Center in Canada. NORAG in Geneva hosts one of the four regional hubs of Kicks. Find us on the NORAG or GPE Kicks websites. You can subscribe to the Kicks EAP podcast, newsletter, and webinar series, and also learn about Kicks global or regional projects. Additionally, you can subscribe directly on Spotify or SoundCloud to receive notifications of the new monthly podcast episodes. Thanks for listening.